Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. We're in this uh, series called Catch the Wind. And part of this whole idea that we've been praying for as we launch 2023 is, God, we want to be like that clipper ship that's not just sitting in the harbor with its sails down and doing nothing. We want to be like that clipper ship that raises the sails and says, Holy Spirit, take us wherever you want to take us. We will do whatever you want us to do. We will go wherever you want us to go. We will give whatever you want us to give. God, we are open to whatever it is that you have for our lives. That's been the whole idea, the whole mantra of this series since we started at the beginning of the year. And my prayer is that that's beginning to, to, to seep into your I know it is because I'm hearing stories back from some of you where you're coming back and you're saying, Pastor Rich, God is calling me to do this. God is telling me to do this. God is telling me I should start doing that. And I'm beginning to hear those stories. So I'm excited about what God is doing and in and among us. Um, today I want to talk a little bit about moving from to, to catch the wind, to really be the church that's unleashed, unleashed into this world, we need to learn to move from routines to risk. I want to talk a little bit about that here in a second. But there's a, a guy by the name of Miles Harvey. He wrote a book called The Island of the Lost Maps. And uh, this book is about a guy named Gilbert Bland, a true story, a guy named Gilbert Bland that would go into museums and into books, you know, like exclusive bookstores, and he would steal maps, old maps, like he'd steal them. And, uh, and so he got caught eventually, and, and this book is about that, but then it's also about his own journey, and he's talking about something I think is a tension that all of us wrestle with. Um, he writes, in my 30s, I spent a great deal of time at the Kopi, which then was some kind of cafe in, in Chicago, whose walls were adorned with masks from Bali and shelves filled with guides to far-flung destinations. I was then the literary critic for Outside Magazine, a great job, but one that was beginning to wear on my patience. You see, the books I read, the books that he was critiquing, the books I read were about people who climbed Himalayan peaks, rode a bicycle across, across Africa, sailed small boats across the Atlantic, trekked into restricted areas of China. These tales of adventure filled my days with imagination. And yet, my own life was anything but adventurous. The interior of the Kopi was ringed by clocks, each one showing a time in some distant locale. As I watched the weeks ticking away in places like Timbuktu and Juneau and Goa and Denpasar, I began to long for an adventure of my own. And this is the call. It's the call that we as a church have been invited into, a call of adventure. Not just, not just that we study stories, but that we live out these stories. Not just that we know history, but that we start writing history, making history as a church. You and I are called on an adventure, and if we miss this, if we don't get that, then we're missing out on a big part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you see the irony of the lies that we often live, but we're content with watching shows about adventure while we never li leave our living room. We're satisfied playing video games that are action-filled and adventurous, 
but we sit in our cozy little rooms doing that. We're content scrolling through social media and observing the lives of others who are living out this amazing adventure and yet we are just buying time. And so if you've been sitting in a cafe looking at others, the adventure of other people, saying to yourself, one day I'll do that, hopefully one day I'll be there, today's the day. Today's the day to step out and take a risk. I hope you're hearing me on this. I, I wanna appeal to your heart this morning, not just to your mind. I know we're gonna be a, challenging our minds, but I wanna appeal to your heart this morning. I hope, I hope, I hope that all of us in this room will one day get to the end of our lives and we will not look back and say, I regret not having done that. I regret not having, stepping out, having stepped out in faith when God called me to step out in faith. I regret not giving when I felt like God was calling me to give, but I didn't do it because I was scared. I pray that we as a church will embrace the call to leave the routine and take a few risks in life. And this is gonna require a shift in our life. To live this kind of adventure is gonna require a shift in our lives, a shift from routine to risk. Another word for routine, I guess, would be like a rut. When I was young, I, a younger, not now anymore, <laughs> I used to ride dirt bikes out in the desert in California and different places that we would ride. We loved doing it. Uh, but we go to a place called, uh, uh, oh, I forgot the name. It, it's a, a flat desert out there, and a salt desert out there. I can't remember the name. But anyways, we go to this place, and it was flat as can be. Right, and we would ride full blast out there. I had a big 400 cc Yamaha that could just fly, <laughs> and I would ride full blast. The scariest thing for me to run into, though, was a rut. And if I found myself getting on a little trail, getting off on a trail, and then the ruts would start popping up, I would almost inevitably end up in a rut, and then I would have to follow that rut till I finally, because it's it's hard to get out of the rut. Once you're in the rut, it's hard to get out of the rut. And I think sometimes that's how we live our lives. We, we, ruts aren't bad, they're not morally wrong, but I think what happens is we get in, these, in, these, in this day-by-day -day kind of choices that we make, a way that we live our lives, and we just go day after day after day, never asking the question, why am I doing this? Where is this taking me? How am I contributing to the kingdom of God in this rut? Now, we don't see it as a rut, what we see it as a routine. It's just the routines that we're in. This is the stuff that we do day in and day out, day in and day out. I'm not saying that those are morally wrong. I'm not saying that those are wrong or bad altogether. We do need to have some routine, right? I don't like when somebody comes to me and says, I, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I want today, you know. That, I don't like that either. <laughs> but if we're in a routine and we, have no, we don't know why we're doing what we're doing and we're not, there's no significance to it, then I think we need to question it. We need to live this adventure that God is calling us into. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus is speaking. He says, I've come that they may have life. Like Jesus has come to give us life. Not, not just biological. We're all alive. There's a pulse, right? You're alive. But not just biological life, but full life, he says. I've come to give you life to the full. Like I didn't come, I didn't die on a cross, I didn't give my life for you so that you could just live in routines. 
I didn't give everything over so that you could have life and this life is just waiting till one day you get to heaven. I've come to give you full life, a different kind of life. One that's not like anything else out there, something that's full. Now, when we see this word full, I think sometimes what happens is we confuse it with convenient or comfort. Like, it's comfortable. Like, Jesus came, and there's a lot of gospel out there that proclaims this, that, that you've come so that you can just be happy in life and comfortable in life and convenient in life, but that's not really what that is. When we read through, we've been going through the... Uh, Going through the, the book of Acts, as you read the stories through the book of Acts, you'll find that they lived a full life, but that life was not always comfortable. It was not always convenient. Sometimes they ended up in prison, shipwrecked, but they were living a life of, of adventure. And so this early church lived out this risky kind of faith. And my prayer is that we too, as a church, would be unleashed into this world. And that's going to happen when you and I move from routine to risk when we start taking some risks of faith. We're gonna read a story today out of the book of Acts, book of Acts chapter eight. Um, it's a story of a man named Philip. Now there's two Philips in the Bible. There's a Philip the apostle. In the gospels you read about Philip the apostle, but then there's Philip the evangelist. You read, read of him in the book of Acts. Philip the evangelist was one of the seven deacons that was selected to serve the widows, you know, and do the, do the ministry of service, of serving. And... Uh, he, you know, but he was a guy that was willing. He was one of those, just if I can define Philip, I think he's one of those that what I'm, what I'm trying to talk about in this series is one of those that came into the church, gave his life to Christ, started following Jesus and decided to, to not let his sails be down, decided to lift his sails, say, God, wherever you, whatever you want for me, I'll do it. And so it resulted in becoming a deacon right away. And then shortly after that, he's asked to go to Samaria to basically plant a church in Samaria. You have to understand that was very, very risky. A Jew from Jerusalem to go to Samaria to plant a church. Those guys didn't really get along with each other. And then not only was he going to be in Samaria, but then he's also coming and bringing a kind of a new message. So that was very risky, but he does that because he lifts his sails. He said, God, I'm just going to do whatever you're calling me to do. So he ends up in Samaria and he plants this church. He takes this huge risk. Look what it says in verse 12 of Acts chapter eight. He says, but now the people, talking about the people in Samaria, but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. So Philip lifts his sails. The wind of the Holy Spirit blows him to Samaria he takes this huge risk and revival breaks out. Now that's what we like to see, right? God, if I'm gonna risk, I wanna see revival break out. I wanna see you do amazing things, right? And that's what happens. I mean, really cool stuff begins to happen for Philip. The church is exploding. People are getting saved. You read the story there. There's people getting baptized. Demons are being cast out. I mean, just healings are happening. Just amazing things happening there. But then in the middle of this revival, verse 26, an angel comes to speak to Philip. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Like, Philip, I'm sending you because I have a divine appointment for you. <laughs> If I was Philip, I'd be like, wait a minute, I'm here in the middle of revival. 
I don't want to go to the desert. Like, I like this. I like, God, God, you're using me here. Why are you sending me away? It doesn't seem very strategic. It doesn't seem very, like, you're not, my gifts are not going to be utilized out in the desert. Like, I'm here, God. Why, why do this? I mean, angel of the Lord, why don't you just cut out the middleman? Why don't you just, instead of just talking to me about going down there and meeting this guy, why don't you just go talk directly to this guy? You know, there's some, I, I can see that happening. I think that's how we respond oftentimes. That we essentially decide, this is what God is doing in my life. I know what God is doing in my life. Oh, Holy Spirit, I know you're telling me to do No, but God is telling me to do this. This is what I'm going to do. But see, there's this divine appointment with this man from Ethiopia. And this is what I love about the kingdom of God. See, God uses ordinary, everyday people to touch the lives of other people. Yes, an angel of the Lord could have spoken to the Ethiopian, could have. And he has done that many times. But in this case, God wanted to use Philip. There was a divine appointment for Philip to speak to this man from Ethiopia. Another thing I want you to notice here in this narrative is that God is will go to great lengths, I mean great lengths, for just one. Just one. Like there's a whole revival happening. Don't you think that God would focus his attention in Samaria with all these people getting saved? Why would he cause anybody to go down to a desert? See, God's heart, God's passion is for the one. And let's not forget that, guys. I think sometimes you can be a part of a church like this where there's a lot of people and we feel like, yeah, great, hallelujah. But you need to understand that God knows each and every one of you by name. He knows everything about you. There's nothing about you that escapes God. And when he looks down at Life Church, he doesn't see a congregation. He sees Ridge. He sees Lance. He sees, uh, uh, I keep calling Greg. I feel a few names that I'm, sorry. I know, all, I, don't, I know more than that, but just those are the names that just came up right, real quick, Okay. He sees you. He doesn't see everybody. He sees you. God will go to great lengths to reach one. Last, uh, Cedar Rapids is watching us right now. I hope Christian is sitting there with you. But last month, um, Cedar Rapids had a water baptism. They celebrated water baptism. One of the guys that was baptized there was a guy named Christian. I have a picture of him getting baptized, actually. Uh, that's Christian. If you don't know who Christian is, it's this guy. That's Jairus. It's our campus pastor. And, uh, and so Christian was getting baptized last, uh, last, last month. And uh, he shared his, I don't know Christian, but he, I got to know him a little bit by a testimony that was shared on Facebook. Let me just read it to you real quick. He said, God has given me, sorry, God has been there with me during a lot of hard times in my life. Even when I tried to distance myself from him and not make the best choices, he never left my side. I'm a, I'm a survivor of being molested as a child, being taken away from my mother, and growing up in shelter homes, feeling lonely, unloved, and unwanted. I'm a survivor of rape. I had so much hurt at, at, a, at such a young age that I carried on throughout most of my life, and I turned to hate, evil, anger, drugs, and alcohol abuse. In 2019, I tried to end my life by hanging myself. 
I was not alone. I was not alone at this time. God was with me, and little did I know He had other plans for me. <clears throat> I love this part. Right now, I know I am wanted. For somebody who grew up his whole life knowing he was unwanted, right now he says, "I know I am wanted, and I am loved." I'm growing my relationship with God every day. Instead of hiding from him, I am running toward him. I am sober. My heart is full of love, and I see people and life differently. Like Jesus has really made a change in his life. I have forgiven those who have hurt me. I've asked God for forgiveness for all I've done wrong. And I've been forgiven, and I have forgiven, and I forgive myself. I am working towards becoming who I was meant to be. I love that little line he put there because one of our values is, is that, becoming who you were meant to be. I'm ready to place my trust in and start serving Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. Hallelujah. Last night I was at this Lifehouse graduation and Ashley was giving her testimony. I have a picture of that. It's, I don't know if we could put it up on the big screen. It's harder to see up here. But this is her a few years ago being booked to jail. <laughs> This is her over here now giving her testimony. Uh, on the tables, I had these little cards and, and just a little statement that she said. Some things, I have, I ha things that I have accomplished at Lifehouse is I built a relationship with my mom, so they must have been estranged, her and her mom. I've learned obedience. I got my driver's license back. I got my warrants lifted. <laughs> I love this. It's just raw, but it's awesome. I built a strong, sober community and got closer to God, Jesus. <clears throat> she shared her testimony last night about how she has entered into a full relationship with Jesus Christ. A few months ago, she was baptized here at Life Church. Can I tell you, it's not really about the hundreds of people that may attend Cedar Rapids or that home or the hundreds that might be here. It's about the one. It's about people like Christian that was in that picture. That's what it's about. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would understand that we are after the one. Like there are people in your sphere, in your life right now, people that, are, that don't know Jesus, that are disconnected from Christ, that are just waiting for you to see them, to notice them, to share the gospel with them. This is the Jesus way. This is how Jesus changes the world, one person at a time. Amen? But how do we do that? How do we get into this adventure with Christ? Well, it's gonna take some risk. It's gonna take some risk. It's gonna require for us to step out of the ruts that we're in, the routines that we're in, and say, God, how are you gonna use me moving ahead? So I think it's actually a good exercise for us right now, at the beginning of the year, to pause for a second and just ask ourselves a question. What is 2023 gonna be like different than what it's been for the past several, several years? What am I, I going to do in 2023 that at the end of 2023, I can look back and say, God, you used my life in 2023. And I promise you, if you do that, if you do it with sincerity and you actually step out and do that and make that decision, it's going to require some risk along the way. And that's what we see here with Philip. I love verse 27. Uh, this, this exchange with the angel and Philip in verse 27, it just simply says, he started out. He started out. He just lifts his sails and he goes. Like, there's so many unknowns. But Philip is like, okay, I guess I'm doing that today. 
Like I was in this revival, I was like having a great time in this revival, but I guess what I'm doing today is I'm putting, I'm, I'm canceling some meetings that I had scheduled, I'm rescheduling some other meetings because I'm going down to the desert. He just starts out, he leaves. He lifts his sails and says, God, I'll go wherever you ask me to go. I think for many of us, we want to live that kind of adventure. We want to live that kind of life where we, where, where we are responsive to the Holy Spirit. Like, that's what we want, right? But I think the problem is that there are leashes that we have. I talked about leashes a couple of weeks ago. Leashes that are holding us back. They're binding. They're restrictive. But here's what I understand, too, about leashes, that they can also be, you know, make you feel secure. They can be predictable, right? Like, we, can, we have the leash, and yes, I want to do that, but, you know, there's safety. There's safety in the leash, I think some leashes that some people struggle with sometimes are with what other people have said about you to you. Usually starting when you're very young and you hear statements like, you're no good. You're not going to amount to anything. You're, you just have no talents. What's wrong with you? And you hear that from young and it becomes this recording in your head where you grow up and you become an adult and there's this this recording in your head just keeps going over and over and over again. I'm no good. I'm useless. God can't use me. Can I tell you that that's what they may have said about you, but that's not what God says about you. You're his beloved. He's redeemed you with a price. And he has a call for you. He has a ministry for you. He invites you into this adventurous life. I think another leash that people have oftentimes is what other people think of them. Like we're tied to expectations of other people. Like there are things that I want to do. I feel this faith rising up in me. I want to take this risk. I want to launch out into this ministry. I want to start serving in this community. I want to start reaching out to these people. But I'm a little bit nervous about that because of what people think, what other people will think about me when I decide to do that. I know that was my case when I was 19. I clearly felt, I had just gotten given my life to Jesus, and I clearly felt a call to ministry right off, right off the bat. I knew that God was going to use me in ministry. But I was a sophomore in, in, in college, engineering, and uh, I just knew that, um, <clears throat> that my parents, uh, my mother and my uncle and all of them had expectations of me. Like, when I went to my mother about it, she's like, no, no, that's... Nice idea, like a pat on the head. Nice idea, but no, no, no. You need to become an engineer. You need to make some money. You need to make your family proud. <laughs> and so there's these expectations, right? And sometimes that limits, it's a, it's a leash that keeps us from actually stepping out and doing what God has called us. I think sometimes for some of us, a leash is this leash of comfort. And it's really hard to break free from that. Like we, uh, we um, like you might hear us here talking about going all in for Jesus, and you might feel like, well, you know, maybe I should serve in children's ministry. And so you decide, I'm going to do that. But then as you start, you decide in your head, I want to serve in children's ministry, I may sign up. But what if, okay, if I sign, what if on a Sunday morning, I don't really feel like getting up? What if on a Sunday morning, I don't really, I really don't want to go mess with those kids. I'm just, I've had a lot going on in my life, and I just don't want to have to mess with those kids. But if you feel compelled, you feel, you hear an appeal for us to, to raise more money for missions and you feel compelled to do something, you want to do something, but then you start thinking about, man, but I can, I can get a new TV with that or I can buy a new car. Ah, maybe I shouldn't do it. 
And so this leash of comfort and convenience sometimes holds on to us. And let me tell you something. Jesus has come to set us free from the leashes that hold us back. Jesus has come to set us free from the leashes that hold us back. And you see this ex- precisely in the, in the life of Philip. It says, so, you, so Philip started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. So we know that this man that he's going to, this divine appointment that he has is a, is a man from Ethiopia. He's from Africa, number one. Number two, we also know he's a eunuch. So this is interesting. And this happened, very savage thing that they would do. But basically when children were born into indentured servitude, and uh, particularly if they're going to be used, little boys were going to be used to serve um, like queens and others, they would castrate them before puberty. That way testosterone wouldn't kick in, you know. And, and so when that happened, when that happened, basically the boy would grow up as an adult, but because of no testosterone, he would look a little bit different. He would sound a little bit different. They were just very different. They looked different than the rest of everybody around them. Okay. And, uh, and yet... This is who God sends Philip to meet. I hope that sinks in for you. We, as social beings, we are so used to being with people like us. And we think the people that need to get saved are the people who are like us. And, and, and if they're not like us, well, they need to become like us. And in this particular case, God sends this Jewish man who's having revival in Samaria to minister to somebody who is very different than anybody else. It goes on, it says, and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority from under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. So he served the queen of Ethiopia, so he was very wealthy himself. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to, to worship and he's now returning. Verse, continues in verse 20, he's seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So what you have here is somebody who's traveled 1,500 miles to go to church, Whatever happened at church, we're not exactly sure what happened at church. I say church, I'm talking about he's gone to, you know, synagogue, Jewish religion. But he's gone there and he didn't really get everything that he was looking for. He has questions still. And so he's on his way back to Ethiopia. He's reading the scriptures. He's trying to figure some things out. And this is where he meets Philip. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, again, let me just emphasize that. This is a lot of activity happening, a lot of Holy Spirit activity happening just to meet one man on a desert road. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. And so I want you to get this picture. Philip is in this revival. He leaves. He's on his way now down this desert road. He's running and he sees a carriage at a distance and he notices it's an ornate carriage probably. You know, probably had a, 6.2 6.2 liter engine. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. You know what I'm saying? It really, just a decked out thing. He's like, this is a, like, this is a Rolls Royce for that, that day, right? It's really elaborate. And he probably noticed this. He said, man, but this guy's wealthy. What do I have to offer to him? I'm just imagining this with Philip, right? Like, I'm sure I, I've, I say this because I've done this. Like, I feel like the Lord leads me to somebody and then I'm thinking, but I don't know if I even say anything to that person. I don't even, I don't know if I have any common ground with them. I don't even know how to talk to that person. And I'll argue with the Lord and the Lord said, no, I still want you to go. And so basically, the Lord convinces Philip to just go and talk to this man. So he comes alongside this carriage and he hears this man reading out loud from Isaiah. 
specifically Isaiah 53. Now, if there's, any of, if there's ever a verse in the Old Testament that you want to be able to share the gospel from, Isaiah 53 is a good passage to read. It was written 700 years before Jesus was born. It talks about things like how Jesus died. So it's talking about crucifixion before crucifixion even was a thing. And Philip comes alongside this guy at just the right time, at just the right moment. Like he's, he comes alongside this guy when this guy is reading out of Isaiah 53. Like if there's ever an opportunity, now is the opportunity. It was a divine appointment. Here's what I want you to take away. Some, what if Philip, what if Philip said, no, I can't go. Uh, it's, it's a desert. Deserts are hot. I don't like hot. I don't want to go. Uh, you know, I mean, I've got appointments. I've got things going on. I, you know, I, I shouldn't cancel. Why don't we put it on the calendar someday later? I know you're saying, well, that's not what happened. That's not what he did. But you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a parable because it's oftentimes what we do. Rich, I want you to do this. Okay, Lord, I will. But you know, I've got these, I got these scheduled meetings. I don't know if I can do it now. I have to do it later. What if Philip had said no? He would have missed this divine appointment. So I don't know if you realize this, but what's happening is that God is working in this Ethiopian's life and he's utilizing Philip to work in this Ethiopian's life. Right now, right now, God is working in people's lives that you know. Right now. Right now, God is stirring the hearts of certain individuals that, you know, that you're in relationship with and, uh, and he's compelling you maybe to do something about it. Seize the moment. Take the risk. Live the adventurous life. Right now, maybe there's some of you in this room right now that you would have said, I, a year ago, I would have not been sitting in church in service. Maybe you're in Cedar Rapids. Maybe you're in Wilton. That's what you're saying to yourself. I would have never been here. But today I am. You need to know that that's not by, you know, happenstance. That's not, you know, just coincidence. God is ordering our lives. God is at work. There's a divine appointment for you. He's inviting you into that. Like God is orchestrating this moment in your life. <clears throat> so it tells us that, that this man's reading from the book of Isaiah and Philip comes alongside him in the carriage. Verse 30 says, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? I love how Philip does this. He does, like he doesn't come to the guy and say, hey, hey, stop, carriage. <laughs> uh, an angel of the Lord has sent me here to give a word to you. That's not what he does. Although that's what happened, right? That's not what he does. Like he understands that this guy's searching. He knows that this guy's looking for answers. So he doesn't come presuming that he has all the answers. And suddenly he says, do you understand what you're reading? It's like a soft entry into being able to, and this is important for us because sometimes the best way to start talking to people that you're in relationship with, ask questions, ask good questions. Like don't, don't just assume that you know everything already. I'm say, do you understand what you're reading? The guy responds, the man replied, how can I, 
unless someone instructs me. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Verse 35. So beginning with the same scripture, Isaiah 53, right where the man was at. Okay, like he, he's, like Philip is conscientious of where the man is. Not just where he is actually literally in the text, but also where the man is spiritually. Right where he's at. Beginning with that same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. He shares Jesus with this man. Now what he doesn't do, he doesn't say, hey, you're from Ethiopia. You know, the culture down there is very different than our culture in Jerusalem. I need to set you straight on a few things. He said, I understand you're, uh, you're, you're, you're from, you know, you're the, from the queen's palace and you're down from Ethiopia. And I hear that the politics down there is pretty liberal. So let me, let's get on the same page politically first. That's not what Philip does. That's not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not, you know, my morality. The good news of the gospel is not my political slant. The good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ. That's our message. That's what we preach. That's what we talk about. So when you meet somebody, you say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know where you're at? Do you want, like you're inquiring and they say no and they invite you in. What you're bringing to them is the good news of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Verse 36, 38. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He asked this question. I love this. He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Now baptism, we understand baptism. We do baptism around here. It's an outward sign of something that's happened inside of us. It's a sign of us having said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I'm no longer on my own. I'm no longer doing my own thing. I surrender my life completely over to you. And in that surrender, you're basically saying, God, I am yours. And so this eunuch asks this guy, he says, hey, so I, it's like, I don't even know. I, I'm wondering sometimes, what were they talking about? You know, they're talking about Isaiah 53. How did they get on the subject of water baptism? So it must have happened that as Peter was talking, they just moved along and the man is assenting to what Peter's talking. I mean, Philip is talking about. He, he's recognizing, yeah, that's what, that's what I get. So what's next? What's next? And then Peter says, well, you know, you should probably just get baptized now. Now that you believe, you should probably get baptized. And then it just happens as they're riding by, they see a puddle of water and the guy's like, hey, why can't I get baptized now? Look, there's some water. Like they had no swim trunks. He hadn't taken a baptism class yet. He hadn't done any of that yet. Why, why can't I get baptized? I love this as a pastor because that's not usually the question I get when we're talking about water baptism. Usually the question I get is, why should I get baptized? Like, prove it to me, Rich. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about water. I don't know if I like to get in water and then do it in front of everybody. Ugh. Why should I get baptized? But this man, he responds completely differently. He decides that he decides that because Jesus now is my Lord and Savior, because he commands me to be baptized in water, I'm gonna do it. And so he gets baptized, baptized in water. Then he goes off to Ethiopia and the church is unleashed. Tradition tells us that the beginnings of the gospel in Africa started with this particular event. This Ethiopian man that hears the message of Jesus Christ. It started really with Philip taking a risk. <clears throat> you know, we sing songs, our worship team's coming here. We, I'm gonna ask you all to stand. 
We sing songs about lifting our hands and surrendering to Jesus things. And I think sometimes we sing those songs and they're just words on a screen or there are things that we've memorized, but maybe we don't always mean it. Like when we say, I surrender all, I surrender all, maybe we don't really mean that completely. Maybe that's what God is calling us into. Maybe the breaking out of the routine, out of the rut and into risk is saying, okay, Lord, when I say I surrender, I surrender. I surrender my will. I surrender my plans. I surrender my life. I surrender my career. I surrender my family. That's something we can surrender. I surrender it to you. It's yours. It's yours. This week, you're going to have opportunities. Opportunities to take a risk. To show compassion, to show care to people around you. The question is, is are you available? Are you willing? Our prayer here at Life Church, at least my prayer has been in 2023, is God send us revival. Set us on fire for you, Jesus. May we be not just one or two people who are lifting their sails, but may we all be lifting our sails and say, God, take us wherever you want us to take us. We want what you want for us. And that starts, honestly, guys, with taking a risk. It starts with, with yes, Lord, whatever you say. I think right now God is compelling some of you in this room to say yes. Maybe, maybe you're here and really you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Like you've never really given your life over to him. You've, you, you, you're familiar with church culture. You're familiar with coming to church, you know, but you've never really said, Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior more than just mental ascent, it's something that happens in the spirit in your life. Jesus, I surrender. Maybe that's where you are right now. And I think, I think the Holy Spirit is inviting you to take a step out and risk. If that's you, we have prayer teams here, left and right. Here's what I'm going to ask you. This is bold. I realize it's bold. But it's easy. In some ways, you can step out, go to one of our prayer team members, and I promise you, their, draw, their, their jaw will drop if you walk up and say, hey, I've never given my life to Jesus. Will you help me? <laughs> they will love you. I promise they will love you if you did that. Maybe you're here, though, and you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but life has been about a rut. It's like I'm just doing things, a routine, in, day in, and day out, day in, and day out, day in, and day out, day in, and day out. And I don't even know what the meaning of it is. I don't even know what the purpose of it is anymore. I don't even understand why I'm doing this, God. Why am I doing this? Maybe that's where it starts, by asking that question, God, why am I doing this? Why am I in this rut? And then take the risk, jump out of that, and say yes to whatever he's calling you. Maybe it's even further than that. Maybe some of you here are full in for Jesus, but you've been feeling a call to ministry. Maybe it's a call to missions. And it's risky because it means quitting your job. It means selling everything. It means packing it all up and 
fly into a distant land. This is the adventure that God has called us on. No more sitting in cafes and looking at the life of other people. No more reading stories about others. It's time to start creating your story, your story of faith. And it starts with saying, God, I surrender it all to you. I choose to risk over the routine. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we just want to thank you, God, that you're here in this place. We thank you, God, that you, your spirit is stirring our hearts. God, you are calling us out of the routines, out of the ruts, and calling us into a life of risk, of trusting you with everything that we've got. Father, we know that in your kingdom, that's what you do. You use ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things for you. So right now, Father, will you unleash this church? Will you unleash us, Father? Set us free from the things that are holding us back. May we lift our sails. May we catch the wind, Father. May we, may we go where you are calling us to go. And for those, Father, in this room right now that need to basically surrender something, Father, may they just do that today in Jesus' name.